0: Good morning and welcome we gather here in god's presence to come and to respond uh, to god and his goodness so as we gather um, to take a moment to uh, welcome all of you who are here in person and also those who are joining online Uh, we trust that by god's spirit he's uniting us to christ and to one another as we come and to his gates to bring praise and thanks and so before we begin our service though i just want to mention a couple announcements Uh, one there is a congregational meeting that will be online A Zoom meeting on the 19th of May and we are having that just to talk about the new budget year that started April 1st And also just to check in and see if there's any questions. So everyone's invited There'll be a a link in the weekly email uh, But that's on the 19th uh, to Wednesday night of of May Also, just a reminder that we have uh, children's ministry classes that are are coming back and we're very thankful for that So there's a nursery available. There's a preschool class and children's worship today and so uh, nursery is available right away uh, but if the nursery and preschool will be dismissed shortly and their classes are downstairs they can meet uh, miss betsy or melinda in the back uh, one other note though if you if your child is going to a class either nursery or class you don't need to register them on the eventbrite link so uh, just to keep that in mind in the future if your child is participating uh, they don't uh, need to uh, to do that Well, God has called us to come and to worship. Let's take a moment of quiet to prepare ourselves to come before God.
1: call to worship this morning is from Psalm 121. And uh, there's a responsive reading part for those of us who are in person and an optional singing part if you're at home. But let's please stand together.
0: not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber nor sleep. The Lord is my keep, your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Kevin, there's some spots up here in, these, in the... In this, Kevin? In the, yeah, I'm oh, sorry. In the, up front here, there's some spots too in the future, yeah. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we gather as those created by You and called by You. Your Word gave us life, and Your Word now calls us into Your presence. We ask that You would meet us and that You'd minister to us. Lord, we gather as those not only called by you, but we come and we want to acknowledge that we know uncertainties and fears. We gather as those who know questions and doubts. As those who know what it is to struggle or long for things to be different in us or in our relationships. Lord, in Christ, you call us, but we come and we know what it is to feel guilty or feel shame. So, Lord, we thank you. Thank you that in your call that you are the one who sees us, and you are the one who knows us. Thank you that even as you see all that is going on within us, that you graciously and faithfully call us into your presence. Lord, we sing with the psalmist, where does our help come from? And we know there's many voices and many offers speaking to us, telling us where to seek what is good and what will be helpful. But Lord, we gather here in this place today to confess and trust that help, true help comes from you, the Lord our Maker. So God of mercy, help us. Help us turn to you and rest in your goodness. God of mercy, thank you for our victory in Christ, that you carried our death and sin and overcame. God of mercy, thank you for your steadfast love Help us to trust in your faithful and gracious care. Help us to know and remember the wonder that Christ, the one who knows us fully, is the one who has acted for us to forgive us and to receive us fully. God of mercy, let us rest in you. And by your spirit this day, minister to us and teach us again how to love, how to set aside our selfishness and pride, how to set aside all of our demands, teach us how to love, not by our conditions or by our prejudice, but in the power and spirit of Christ. Lord, teach us to see one another anew as brothers and sisters. Please be with us and do all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, this time children going to preschool and children's worship can move to the back. Um, Melinda and Betsy are there to meet you and take you down to your classrooms. We're going to continue worshipping through a time of confession. We'll do this together, uh, corporately and we'll have a time of personal silent confession. I invite you to join with me in our, our corporate confession. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silent, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not hide my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you. take a moment of quiet to bring our own personal confessions and need to God. Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. We thank you for the good promise of your help. For we are helpless and we have to hang on you. Lord, we confess how often we want to find our own ways to present ourselves or to make things the way we want them to be. But we confess to you, Christ, that you are our hope and our help. And we thank you for the promise That your help is sufficient that your grace is greater than our sin We give you thanks in jesus name amen well please stand with me that we can say our words of assurance together this is from first corinthians 5. invite you to join with me therefore if anyone is in christ he is a new creation the old has gone the new has come and as we prepare to hear god's word let's join together in our responsive prayer of illumination O God, by your Spirit, tell us what we need to hear and show us what we ought to do to obey Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. The Old Testament lesson is from Proverbs 2423 to 26. These are also sayings of the wise. Partially in judging is not good. Whoever says the wicked, you are in the right, will be cursed by peoples, abhorred by nations. But those who rebuke the wicked will have delight, and a good blessing will come upon them. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses the lips.
2: Excuse me, the gospel lesson is Matthew five thirty-eight through 48. You have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sunrise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you have love for those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Whew, we got through that. Well, good morning. It's good to see you all, especially on a cold, rainy, drizzly morning. It's good to see so many faces here with us. Well, we are continuing our sermon series through the book of James. Um, Such a wonderful book filled with all sorts of beautiful imagery and wisdom, but also a pretty convicting book. And we are going to come encounter with another passage that's gonna both challenge us and give us a challenge, but also give us a grace as well. And I love the the theme that Chad has chosen for this series, this idea of resurrection wisdom, resurrection wisdom. And and wisdom is really knowledge embodied and and lived out in community. And we're gonna see that played out in our passage today. So if you would join me, uh, James chapter two, verses one through 13. Brothers and sisters, show no partiality as you hold faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothing, saying, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, stand over there or sit down at my feet? Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? And has he not promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Gracious God, I pray that you would be with the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts as you draw us near to you by your word and spirit. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, uh, John Denver, the singer-songwriter, once tells this story about a man who was invited to this Fancy, beautiful banquet, and he arrived wearing just simple clothes, blue jeans and a t-shirt, and, and was told to leave the room. He was told to leave the room. He was told to go to the kitchen, rather, to eat his meal. The man left and went home and got dressed up in his fancy clothes, his best suit, and he came back to the banquet. This time, they let him in, and not only that, but they seat him in a special place. But the guests were startled when he started to take the food that he was served and the drink, and he started to pour it on his coat, saying, eat coat, drink coat. And when he was asked what he's doing, he said, well, obviously it was my suit, my clothing that was invited to this banquet and not me. When I came earlier wearing simple clothes, I was kicked out but when I returned with a suit, I was invited in. So I can only conclude that it was my suit that was invited to this banquet and not me. This man was not seen. His his outside, his outward appearance was seen, but he himself was not seen, creating a sense that his only value came from his outward appearance or his reputation or his abilities. A sense that he only belongs if he has these things or he looks this way. Now, whether this was intentional or unintentional, (laughs) the idea still hits us the same. It's a little bit absurd that the man is putting food on his coat, but it strikes home, this idea that he's only accepted because of his outward appearance. Being seen only for what someone else can get from him or what he brings to the table. That's what James is inviting us into this story. It's a little maybe less absurd. There's no code and food being poured on clothes, but James is inviting us to see something very challenging and very hard as he invites us to consider as a community, as individuals, the way that we respond to each other the way that we receive each other. And so for the rest of our time, I want us to look at two pathways, two ways of doing life together. There's the way of judgment, filled with partiality and discrimination. And then there's also the way of mercy, which is filled with love and the royal law. So as we look at this together, I uh, was thinking about first impressions. You know, these, these two illustrations, the one that I just read and here in James, we, we meet a new stranger and we're given a first impression. And I was wondering the research that has been done psychologically on first impressions. And, I, and I, as I was looking at a few things, uh, I saw uh, places of like when you interview for your employment or, or when you go out on your first date, the, they gave advice on how to look and what to avoid. And they said, based on their research, that anywhere between seven to 27 seconds is all it takes for us to make an initial judgment about somebody. Seven to 27 seconds. For better or worse, our first impression of that person is settled within that small amount of time. So, James is inviting us to consider our first impressions of one another and how we respond. It might be fair to ask what is going on here in this gathering that James is describing with this wealthy man and this poor man who show up. What's going on? Is James speaking of a a real situation or is this just a fictional example? And in some ways, I want to say both, both. James is probably not identifying any one particular case or event in one particular church, but I imagine that James probably has in mind multiple times throughout his life that he has seen this played out, whether in his own, whether within his own gathering of of the church. And he knows the human heart is one of making that initial judgment of categorizing people, of placing them in certain categories, of discerning and judging where they belong. Some scholars disagree if whether this is a public uh, assembly of worship or a dinner gathering or a courtroom setting. And I imagine since James is writing to the church broadly, James has in mind particularly a place of worship and he's concerned about how the people are gathering together, how they are receiving strangers, visitors, even each other in each other's presence. This is a serious problem for James. And this problem is not just economical with rich and poor, we can expand it out even within our own context and day. We can think about the divisions that we experience today racially We even experience this within our genders. We have different education. Some of us have two, three, four degrees of education. Some of us have just a high school diploma. Some of us parent in different styles. Some of us um, play different sports. We all have different ways of being different and unique. And yet sometimes these seem to create a tension that we feel. And we can even judge each other for our choices, for the way that we look, for the way that we appear, for the way that we present ourselves. And here in this moment, James is wanting to challenge that. He's saying there's something at danger, at play here. See, for James, when he gives this imperative, do not show partiality, James is not just worried about outward actions of partiality, of showing discrimination, He's concerned about the heart and the motivation of it. He says, you are making distinctions among yourselves. And then he goes on to further to say that you judge with evil thoughts. The way that you are coming to make these distinctions, the way that you are separating yourselves from one another, at its core, is evil. At its core, something is missing. This partiality has two parts. It has a favoring, a lifting up of somebody, but it also has a displacing, a lowering, pushing down. And yet it speaks to a deep part of us seeking security, comfort, power, a place to belong. See, for the rich man in this setting, or for someone that we look up to, that we may want to look like or get from, There's a lifting up, a joining in with them, seeing that they have something that may benefit us. There's really not a desire to know that person for the person's sake, but what can I get out of that relationship? How can this person bring something of comfort to me? How can this person even bring security? So there's a favoring. And even James, I love his wording here, he talks about you aren't supposed to show partiality, if you are a follower of Christ, because it is Christ who is the Lord of glory. He's the one who you are to favor. He is the one who you should seek security and comfort from ultimately, and not in those whose things fade away, as we've seen throughout James. Power, wealth, these things fade away over time. But it's not just a favoring, it's also a displacing. It's also a displacing. See, the the wealthy man in, in this example, he already has honor, respect, dignity within society. He has it all. And yet, he's given more. And with the poor man, he has nothing. He comes and he's reminded the way that the community receives him that out there in the world is the same way that he will be received here. He is pushed down. He is cast aside. He is told, No, go stand over there. You don't really belong. We'll just tolerate you for the time being. And this isn't just an example. This isn't just something or a parable to get us to think more deeply. This actually has ramifications. These words are powerful. These words are powerful. I wonder what sort of words, what sort of phrases, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we say to those who are poor, those who are marginalized, those who are on the outside. Do we downplay their concerns? Or do we all outright just ignore them? Are there ways in which, whether with verbal words or questions or or just even our actions, that we say the very same thing, no, 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 stand in the back. That's where you belong. See, at the core of this, God is afraid (laughs) that we are judging wrongly. We are looking at the wrong things to make judgments about somebody. And God actually rejects this altogether. God reminds them he flips everything on its head. His desire is to honor and uplift the poor, the outsider, the marginalized, those who may not fit in. Those are the ones he actually desires to lift up. We see this throughout all of scripture in Deuteronomy. God reminds the people of God that he chose them not because they were powerful a nation with great honor, but actually quite the reverse. They were small. They were weak, and he loved them. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that God chose what is foolish in the world. God chose what is weak in the world. God chose what is low in the world and despised. This is the way that God desires to act and move and extend his grace. And yet by showing partiality, by even showing discrimination, we're we're told that we actually dishonor those who we are to lift up. But then there's also a practical side. God says, don't favor those who have it all, or don't favor those who are in places of power, because they already use it actually to harm sometimes. That's what he's getting at in this passage. Be careful who you make your bed with. Be careful who you make your bed with. So by practicing favoritism, partiality, and even discrimination, we do not see each other as God sees us. We do not see each other as God desires for us to see one another. I wonder if we had an honest moment, could we identify in our own life, in our own places, places of partiality? What judgments are we holding towards others? I'll be honest with you, this week I, I struggled as I walked through this passage. It was it was pretty convicting, and, and one of the things that I did was I took a note card and I decided to write ten names down of various ways in which I, I felt that I had some sort of judgment or partiality towards, some sort of discrimination. And to my maybe shock, surprise, or amaze, I wrote it down in less than a minute. And there was great clarity in when I wrote these things down, and I'll be honest, (laughs) there was a sense of shame. But I wonder if God can meet us in those honest places where we acknowledge our partiality, where we acknowledge these places where we are discriminating. And how do we move forward? So this is where he enters into the royal law. So there's the way of judgment, but then there's also the way of mercy. If we are to be a community that doesn't show partiality and discrimination, then how are we to move forward? If we're going to move away from the path of judgment, then where is God leading us? Where is He directing us? Well, He directs us to His law. He he directs us to His very own character. God's revealed His character and revealed His purposes. We see in Leviticus 19, which is where the, the phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, comes from. And in this passage, it, it's actually just broader than just that, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. It talks about not showing partiality um, to the poor and deferring to the great when in, a, in a court of law. It talks about not slandering each other. It talks about not hating your brother but actually meeting them and reasoning and talking and discussing frankly with each other, to not bear a grudge. These are the ways in which we love our neighbor as ourselves. And we see this in Jesus's own life. We heard from Matthew, Jesus invites us to not just love those who look like us, who do the same things that we do, but to love all sorts of people, including including people who threaten us, including people who may even hurt us, he invites us to move towards them. How can we even do this? How is this even possible? This requires a heartfelt empathy towards those who are different from us. An empathy that is not quick to judge, quick to discern differences, but rather one that steps back to seek understanding one that sets down our judgments. Mercy, mercy requires us to set down our judgments. See, when we're filled with judgment, it actually isolates us from each other. It pushes us away. I like the phrase, slow to speak and quick to listen, and I wonder if maybe we can also be slow to judge and quick to understand towards one another, and even towards ourself. If we absolutely refuse to show mercy, we demonstrate with our words and our actions that we truly have not received God's grace towards us. Our community, the Christian community, the one built on the blood and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this community was formed out of grace and mercy and not one of judgment. So to end our time, I, I want to, to reflect on this quote that Miroslav Volf, I hope I said his name correctly, Miroslav Volf, he is a um, Croatian Protestant theologian, um, and he did wonderful work on this idea of uh, reconciliation and forgiveness. And what makes it truly wonderful is that this work doesn't just come out of abstract theological study, but it actually comes from a place of real, genuine hurt and pain within his own life and within his own community. In the Balkans, there were ethnic wars going on in the 90s. Some of you know this probably even better than me. Um, There was genocide. There was brutal retaliation. And he describes it as it was hard to tell where one offense began and where, uh, where it ended, where there was a victim and where there was oppressor because it all got scrambled up in this war. And so his question was wondering how can there be brought healing and restoration into these communities of division? And he brings out these two words. He has a book, and it's called Exclusion and Embrace. Exclusion and Embrace. And this is what he says in this quote If our identities are shaped in interactions with others, And if we are called ultimately to belong together, then we need to shift the concept of justice away from an exclusive stress of making detached judgments and towards sustaining relationships, away from blind impartiality and towards sensibility for difference. True justice will always be on the way of embrace. True justice will always be on the way of the and, and what he's functionally saying here is that the way that we move in to each other, the way that we encounter each other, the way that we can actually draw near to each other in our differences is to point aside these detached judgments that have no relational connection and to actually draw near to each other in relationship. And how can this be done? Quite frankly, it's done in the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is the one, by his mercy and grace, that sustains us in places where we are filled with so much judgment, so much anger towards each other and towards those who are different from us or towards those who we just don't understand how they can see the world this way. It's in those places that we can step back for a moment and trust that he is the one in charge that we don't have to take it by the hand that we don't have to be the ones to judge but that he's the one that has come near to us and embraced us giving us the ability to actually draw near to others and embrace them let us pray gracious god we thank you for this this word both the challenge that James gives us, but also the grace and the mercy that we have received in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would be with all of our hearts as we enter back into our friends, our neighborhoods, our families, sustain us, and give us life. We pray this in your holy name.
0: a moment now to, to pray uh, together. Uh, there'll be two sections. I'll, we'll, I'll pray for our, our nation and our country and have a time of quiet, and you can pray uh, on your own, and that will be concluded by the response you see. Um, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers, and then we'll spend some time praying as a car- for our congregation as well. So let's pray. Lord, we come and we acknowledge that you are the creator of all things and that your word has taught us the precious nature of human life that we are to see the dignity and value of all. We thank you for this passage in James that corrects us and challenges us in ways that when we fall short of seeing our neighbors and brothers and sisters in this way. In light of the, the deep value and dignity of human life, Lord, we, we continue to, to lament the loss of life. We think especially of death due to COVID-19, knowing that across this world that over three million lives have been lost. We think especially of scenes that we've seen recently from India and just the the great suffering and and loss that's going on there. But whether it's near or far, Lord, we come and we acknowledge to you the sorrow. Lord, we also think of of human value and dignity and just the great sorrow of, of gun violence and how we are continually reminded here in our city and country of lives that are lost and how violence is impacting uh, communities. Lord, we turn to you and we acknowledge the trauma and how families and friends and communities are impacted. We acknowledge that even such fears and such violence comes at times at the hands of the authorities, that there is deep hurt and divides that exist in our city. So, Lord, we turn to you, seeking not only peace in the midst of violence, but healing and reconciliation, that neighbors may turn and see one another again. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. And Lord, we gather as a, as a congregation when we are mindful of those uh, within our congregation themselves or those that they love who are undergoing treatment for illness. We pray that you would care for their bo- bodies and give them strength. We, in, in particular, think of Monica Johnson's mother and Adriana Lopez's mother. We pray that you would care for them. Lord, we also we re- remember those who are mourning the loss of loved ones. We pray for Carol Merrim and the loss of her brother. I think of Susan and Mark and Dolly and John as they mourn the loss of Aunt Ev. And we pray for Doug Zylstra and, and all of his family as they continue to mourn the loss of, of Doug's, Doug's mom. Although we pray that we would mourn, but we could be people who mourn with hope in the resurrection of Christ. And Lord, on this day set apart as Mother's Day, We give thanks for the women in our lives who have blessed us, who have cared for us, who have mentored or guided or shepherded us. We think about that as a church, Lord. We thank you for the many women who have offered their gifts to support and serve and lead our congregation. But we also pause and acknowledge that on this day, there can be a variety of feelings, feelings of longing, pain over loss hurt and sadness due to broken relationships. So Lord, we pray that you meet us wherever we are. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. I invite you to stand with me that we can respond and conclude our prayer time
3: receive this benediction from the Lord. May the love of God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Go in the peace of Christ.